is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the Improv Obsession podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Perlstein, and today on the show, we've got Becky Drysdale. Becky is an improv institution, I mean, really, all by herself. She's incredible. And today on the show, we're covering a little bit of everything. Becky gives some advice on improv, talks a bit about writing, finding your place in improv. She also talks about the clubhouse, too. Uh, Becky is an incredibly resilient and thoughtful person, and I hope you pick up on some of those notes. Uh, anyway, I guess that's it. Let's just hop right into it. Here it is. Improv Obsession with Becky Drysdale. It's the Improv Obsession Podcast. It's the Improv Obsession Podcast. It's the Improv Obsession Podcast. It's the Improv Obsession Hey everyone, welcome to the Improv Obsession Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Perlstein, and today on the show, Rebecca Drysdale. Hello. Hello. How Thank are you? Thank you for coming on. I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Uh, oh, very happy you're here. Um, okay, so uh, listeners of the podcast may know Becky from, uh, let's say, being one of the writers on Key and Peele, uh, the benevolent landlord of the clubhouse. <laughs> Don't forget, <laughs> Baby Wants Candy, Gravid Water, Brand New Ball, Elephants Gerald, and current cage match champions, I think that's right, uh, Hebecky Drysdale. That's correct. That's still right. Good. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so that's your, your long uh, list of an impressive credits. Is there anything else I'm missing out? Oh, baskets. Uh, baskets yeah. yeah, I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a little bit of that today to catch up. I was like, oh, I didn't know she wrote that. That mm-hmm. must be exciting. Yeah, I, I didn't do the second season of it. Uh, yeah. I did the first season and it was uh, it's just so great to write. It was awesome to write on something that was trying to do something new. Yeah. And I think that you know, for the uh, some people really, really love the show, and some people it's not for them. But yeah. it was really awesome to be part of sort of a big swing, and um, that I think we ended up with what what we wanted. Yeah. <laughs> so whether it's what everyone else wanted, I don't know. But um, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited actually to watch the second season and not know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it was absolutely great, and Zach is is incredible, and uh, it was a really really small writers room, so it was a really like intimate, you know, kind of brain trust of of people really trying to do something none of us have really seen before. So that was that was really awesome. That's cool. That's a uh, very wanna... lucky to have been to have been on it. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, any. I mean, that sounds like a, a group of good people. So that's always uh, great. Okay. So let's start with, um, I just want to start with like a bit of context. Sure. When you meet people, how did you describe yourself? Oh, Jesus. I like don't they, think, I don't, they, I don't feel like that never comes up. Really? No one's like, describe yourself. Oh no. I just, sorry. I met, uh, <laughs> I, they asked the age old question, like, what do you do? What do oh, you say? Um, I usually say I'm a comedy writer. Okay. Um, that's but, fair. you know, I'm in a place right now also where I am really I'm in kind of a constant state of evaluating what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the more I get to, I mean, you know, it's every time I sort of get to know the business yeah. more, it changes. <laughs> and so that changes sort of where I want to put myself in it. Yeah. Um, I've recently been sort of pushed and encouraged to look at writing movies more, which... Of course, you know, I've always wanted to write movies, but it's just not 
what I have ended up doing. And so I'm really like teaching myself how to do that. And then at the same time, deciding if I want to do it. Yeah. Um, because the state of the comedy movie right now is, is pretty dire. Yeah. It's um, tough. <laughs> you know, and television is opening up into all these exciting, cool new places and really stretching itself to create space for so many different kinds of ideas and movies are becoming more and more limited in what you can do. Yeah. While Um, television is expanding, it seems like movies are narrowing. Yeah. And so there's that, that part of me inside that's like, I'm going to change the world and bring (laughs) movies. And then part of me is like, I don't want to, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's not my my job. job. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, And then part of me is like, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm smart enough. Mm Mm-hmm to write that movie that makes everyone goes go oh yeah yeah like these these movies can be good um i i don't i certainly do not have the skill at this point to write that movie but i'm uh trying to fake it till i make it somewhat um and you know i've seen a lot of movies that i've certainly been like well i can't write anything worse than this <laughs> uh, yeah that's how i ca- i feel like that when every time i see a bad movie i'm like i feel like i could at least do that give me yeah. a bad writing job well, and what's exciting those. too is i've had a couple meetings recently where people have been really um asking me like hey you want to write you know science fiction movies you want to write fantasy movies and i've been yeah. like yes you know I, and that's been awesome to like open my brain up to those things because i love those things so much as well and i find that so many of the r- truly good movies that are happening right now are happening more in those genres and then in a comedy genre. So yeah. I'm also trying to kind of ask myself, you know, like, hey, if I had some great, you know, sci-fi movie or action movie or whatever, what that would be. Um, and it's a fun little, you know, it's like a little make-believe pretend time in my head. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. So do you feel like, uh, I'm just curious, uh, do you feel like after doing a ton of sketch on Key and Peele, mm-hmm. Are you just a little bit like, I got to get away from sketch. I want to do something long. It's not so much that as, you know, I, I, I never, there are some people that are just born to write sketches. They're yeah. just sketch machines there. And the, and those people I, I, I admire so much. And I, and I was lucky enough to work with a bunch of them and learn so much from them. I definitely am much more drawn to, my favorite things are things with story. My favorite things are things where I really get to invest in a character, you know, comedies that make me cry, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and so the challenge of, you know, writing five seasons of a sketch show where it was like, well, can I tell a story in this amount of time? And, and how much can I, you know, get across in a three minute sketch was such an amazing training ground. And now I kind of, uh, want to see how I can apply that to a more narrative form. I've always wanted that, you know, like yeah. I think my ideal situation would be half hour cable comedy yeah. things. Um, but it's in, in no way because I'm like, eh, I don't want to write sketch anymore or, yeah. or poo poo it in any way. No. Um, I think I'm a good sketch writer. I don't think I'm the best sketch writer. You know, there are people who are just like, that is, what you have been put on this earth to do. Yeah. And I feel like I'm very happy with <laughs> the, you know, l- the level that my sketch writing has gotten yeah. to, but I, I just don't think it's my, like my gift to the world, you yeah, know? Sure. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm super proud of 
a lot of things that I, you know, most things I wrote on Key and Peele. Um, I just know that the things I respond to now as a grown up person are um, things that have a little more to sort of sink your teeth into, I guess. And, and I don't, you know, at this point, especially, you know, I have way more experience writing sketches than writing the kinds of things that I ultimately want to write. So, um, you know, I mean, it's such a, I'm starting my 10,000 hours on on that. And I don't know. I feel like that's such a valuable skill. Like, especially people, I feel like a lot of people who come from sketch, who get pretty good at it. Uh, I feel like movies and TV stuff that, comes from them is real good like it's just uh i mean i don't know the hard part i feel like a lot of times the hard part is like getting the jokes in story there's always like especially like if you're talking about like a staff writer position story is already somebody else's job but like uh you can all like i don't know they always need somebody who can be like funny and relentlessly funny and i think a lot of movies and tv shows like i think tina fey and 30 rock or uh like keanu or train wreck it's like oh yeah these are it's a good story built around all these like little tiny sketches and I don't know, I think it works. I think you're going to be great. That's what I'm saying. I mean, my, my feeling is, is I'm, I almost am, you know, and, and writing on baskets, I think was a really great training ground for this too, was just to me, I feel the opposite. I feel like jokes are easy. Yeah. You can always make, you know, put as many jokes per page as you want. That, Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean they're good jokes, Yeah, (laughs) but you know, to me at this point, especially after writing, 4,000 sketches. I don't worry about that part. I yeah. worry about the, the meat and potatoes and the, what is this about? And the like, yeah. and the thing that's going to hold the whole thing together. If I, if I don't know, and this is the same, I think for sketch too, and probably actually a weakness for me in writing sketches mm-hmm. is if I don't know what it's about or what I'm trying to walk away with, yeah. I can't do it. And there, there are, there's people, you know, who are just able to, you know, write eight sketches a day. And I'd be sitting there being like, yeah, but why is it, what's it about? And <laughs> who do I care about? And like, yeah, it actually, um, you know, I would get frustrated myself and just be like, just write a fucking thing. Am I allowed yeah. to swear? Um, crazy. Oh, great. I can't <laughs> wait. Um, so I learned a lot from that. I learned a lot from like, you know what? I'm just going to write a thing and I'll worry about the, the meat and potatoes later. Yeah. Um, when it comes to longer forms, I guess though, like half hours and now, you know, features, which I'm, you know, really pretending to know how to write <laughs> right now. Um, I think oddly, you know, I, I've learned so much from watching children's movies uh-huh. and, uh, especially, you know, the good Pixar movies. We can get into that list in a minute. <laughs> Uh, they were all good to a certain point. Um, but just having mm. that sort of thematic statement that every single thing in the movie or the show or whatever um, responds to. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to editing and you're kind of looking at like, OK, I have all these jokes and something needs to go. Mm-hmm. And you being able to use that as a way of saying, OK, well, does this jo- is this joke just a funny joke in the moment mm-hmm. Or is, does this joke support the sort of, you know, balls of this of this idea? Mm-hmm. And I th- actually think the weakness of a lot of big comedies now is that you have all these kind of jokes that happen in the moment that aren't necessarily coming from character or yeah. story or pushing us towards 
you know, where the movie is trying to take yeah. us. So it's like, yeah, that was a really funny joke, but it almost took me out of the thing. Yeah, there are moments in why movies. why did this character say that at this time? Yeah. I don't know. I get very have, like, upset about things. And you're just like, okay, yeah. cool. We all did. All the characters did, you know, their jokes. And then we kind of went back to the story and it's like, oh, that's not how it's supposed to feel. Well, and I actually, in in my sort of teaching myself how to do this, I've just been watching so much comedy like so many yeah. comedy movies revisiting stuff i haven't seen in a really long time yeah. looking at sort of like tonally where, where comedies are right now and then you know going back to something like you know albert brooks or, and defending your life and mm-hmm. seeing where the differences are and and why this worked and why this didn't work and so on and i think that um you know I've also been having all these conversations lately about like what was truly the last great comedy. Okay. Um, and I, I don't have an answer to that. So that's a terrible setup. No, there's <laughs> no, no I, there's no me... answer to that question. <laughs> but know. you know, you know, for example, I was watching bridesmaids yesterday. Great. And it's so funny and there's so many jokes and there's joke, joke, jokes, mm-hmm. but there's nothing in that movie that doesn't support a larger mission mm-hmm. um, where someone will say something out of character just because it's funny. Right. Um, everything in there is really in the name of supporting this love story between these two friends. Yeah. And, uh, and it makes a, it makes a huge difference. It makes a really big difference in terms of your, for me anyway, and your investment in, in, um, you know, what happens to these people. And I think that, you know, there's a trend in, especially in network television, um, where there's just like phenomenal, incredible, unbelievable joke writing. Yeah. Um, but no one to care about. Yeah. Um, and that's something where I think, you know, there's some places where, we could stand to take a page from some British comedies, yeah, uh, which are a little less worried about creating flawed characters in comedies. Um, wow, this got real nerdy real fast. Um, I love it. This is what the podcast. Okay, is. You're, great. You're you know, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, but it's also like I'm, I'm very much like I'm a student of this stuff. So I watch this stuff, and I, and I you know, try and decide in my head, A, what kind of writer I want to be and I am and how I can make those two things closer together and and also seeing things that I'm like, this is fucking great, mm-hmm. but not what I want to do. Right. And that's fine too. Um, or this is fucking great and not what I'm good at doing. Right. Um, and I think that's a, a really, you know, important thing too. And just when you're moving along in your career and you see people sort of succeeding and taking over the world and it's like, yeah. well, but that's not what I want to do. So sure. God bless that person mm. for doing what they do. Great. Mm-hmm. And I got to figure out, you know, what my thing is. So, uh, a theme that I've been having on this podcast, the past few episodes, uh, is just like my existential relationship with improv right mm. now. And like, should I be doing it at all? What the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, my life is crazy. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's interesting because I feel like uh, I know, I know people who have similar feelings about that, but it also f- feels like you're not that, or at least a lot of like self-examination. It seems like you're not even that far off of that. A lot of self-examination. What are you doing? What are your goals? Uh, what do you want to be? Uh, how do you, 
how do you fit in to this larger picture about writing? Is that does that absolutely sound accurate? and improv? So everything does this just never go away. Am I never no. gonna feel good? Well, and honestly, it's not even so much about feeling good or feeling bad. I I think I just. <laughs> Like every decision I make about, you know, my career or my personal life or, or my creative whatever, mm-hmm. I was going to say creative work and then I was barfed, uh, you know, my creative decisions, whatever, you know, you're setting a precedent for like, oh, well, this is the kind of writer I want to be or this is the kind of professional I want to be or this is the kind of person I want to be or whatever. And I've been dealing with that a lot in the last year and a half. Yeah. Um. Oh, what happened? No, you're good. I'm just a little low on the mic, so I'm trying oh. my. Well, they're not here to see hear yeah, you. <laughs> um. Uh. I think first of all, you know, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of some examples. You know, I wrote this pilot a long time ago that I don't know. I was like 26 or 27. And then in the last couple of years, it's sort of come back as a like, you know, do you want to work on this again? Do you want to? Do you want to try and ma- revisit this and make it? And I, you know, I love this piece of writing that I wrote, but I was like, but I'm not there anymore. And I don't connect to this story anymore. And so I'd be sitting in a room writing a, a story that I, that I, that isn't true to myself anymore. Yeah. And so that was one kind of big moment of discovery where I was like, if I'm not connected to the thing I'm writing, I'm not going to be able to do a good job writing it. Mm-hmm. The last thing you want to do is or I want to do rather is I guess change the idea and change the idea so that you can sell it. Mm -hmm. And then of course that's the thing you sell. And then you're in a fucking room for four years writing something that isn't your, what you wanted to write. Yeah. Now that might make me homeless in two years while everyone else is selling shows. But, um, I've been in a real struggle lately with sort of how much, you know, where do my professional goals and my creative goals intersect? And if they don't, then they go, you know, like they just have to go. Um, because otherwise, you know, the professional part of it is not, you know, the part of it that makes you happy ever. You know, I'm at the point in my life at this point where I'm nominated for Emmys and things like that. And those things are really, really exciting for a week. And then those aren't the things that, you know, you look back on your life and you're like, that was the best summer of my life. You know, when I got nominated for that Emmy. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Not that it isn't a big deal, but it's not the thing that you look back on and say, you know what? I wrote a really great half hour that I'm really proud of, or that was the summer I met the person I loved or, you know, yeah. so you, you just can't put your, all of your eggs in, in a basket that you have absolutely no control over. One of my, uh, first, but I also, sorry to interrupt. No, please. I am going through the same thing with improv as well. Mm. Always. Really? Always. I can't buy, I can't believe that. Well, I can't, you know what? I can't cause I can't, it'll, <laughs> it'll break me. No, I'll fall it's, apart well, and die. No, it's not bad news. <laughs> it's not bad news. And by the way, for the record, mm. you know, the fact that I, that the fact that you can't believe that I can't believe because I, here's yeah. my journey with improv is, is, is such, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, knew that I wanted to do comedy very young. Yeah. And I heard 10. I think. Well, I mean, I don't know if that's maybe it. I don't know. I was doing like Gilder Radner like, bits yeah. at Passover or something, but um, <laughs> I did, but um, I got into clowning. Okay. And then I got into comedy through that. Um, but I was already sort of doing very baby sketch comedy improv stuff when I was like 14, 50, 13, I think. Yeah. And at my summer camp in Connecticut, 
Bucks Rock work camp. <laughs> Everyone send your kids if you're loaded. Um, and, you know, it was not very, I started doing stand up and then very quickly discovered what Second City was. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait a minute, all these people came from the same place. I have to go to that place. Yeah. And so I've, just because of the reputation of the people or people you it was like you know all of these people that make me want to do this thing all have this thing in common and i gotta go there and so when i was 17 i think i took my first class there and i interned in the um training center i think for classes yeah and i was just so i mean i was starstruck by the building you know yeah and this was before ucb was a thing so that was it that was the thing yeah um and uh, and then I went back to college for my sophomore year and then, uh, you know, after one class at second city, I was like, guys, I'm going to teach you all how to improvise, which is, you know, insane. <laughs> yeah. but I think a lot of people do that though. They're like, I saw this thing and I have to make it your problem. Well, it gets, uh, it, it fills you so much that I you're know, like, I need, I need everybody you, else right. to get and, filled and like impossible. I was. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went and then after, after my sophomore year, during which I, I met, or, or I already met Jordan Peele, but he and I in our sophomore year basically spent most of my sophomore year in my dorm, mm. smoking pot, kind of teaching ourselves how to improvise because we didn't really have any yeah, real guidance, yeah. which I hate to say, and I hope my comedy teacher is not listening, but... You know, we kind of sat in my room. I was like, okay, you're a dude on a desert island and I'm a guy. And, you know, like it was <laughs> insane. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was my year. And so after that year, I was like, you know, I think I'm going to go to Chicago and like really do this. Do you want to come? And yeah. Jordan was just kind of like, you know, in his, you know, super relaxed way, <laughs> was just kind of like, yeah, okay, I'll let me get some stuff. And so we went to Chicago and we did a two-person show together. So, uh, you know, we were doing sketch and we also took classes at Second City and IO and I took, you know, level one at IO with Sharon Halpern and and uh, very, very quickly we were put on teams because at that time there weren't 600 people waiting in line to, to be on teams, but we definitely yeah. earned our spot on our team because of the show we were, the written show we were doing. Yeah. You know, then we went to Boom Chicago where my life fell into a million pieces and Jordan became, you know, a big, a big star there. And I just dissolved into a pile of distress. Um, Can I briefly ask why? Oh, God. Well, I just I think because I knew I wanted to do this so young and I was so focused, like when I was 15 and everyone else was like learning how to give blowjobs and shit, I was like writing in a cafe Mm -hmm. and I never, you know, like everyone else was learning how to like barf so they could keep partying and i was like have you seen or six of what a 16 17 everyone else was learning how to drink and have fun and yeah and and make out and i was like you know that that 1979 steve martin live at the universal amphitheater show is a real piece of work you know i was such a dork and so i kind of missed the my party time and so when i went to amsterdam i was 20 And I kind of, I always sort of liken it to like, you know, getting invited to that donkey island in Pinocchio where they're just like, come and do all the horrible things. (laughs) And when, and you you know, it was like someone just put a a box of ecstasy in my hand and surrounded me by, you know, with like beautiful bisexual Mm. women who all they wanted to do was have sex with me (laughs) and then also be here at three o'clock tomorrow for rehearsal. So like... I was a fucking mess. I was 
I did so much E and so many mushrooms. I did all the mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And I fucking, <laughs> I turned myself into like the person no one wanted to really hang out with and certainly, mm-hmm. uh, you know, alienated myself from really being able to participate creatively in any meaningful way. So I wasn't even able to be like, yeah, but my work stands for itself because I missed rehearsal that day because I was, you know, forgot or whatever. Right. Or or in jail. I got arrested once in Amsterdam. (laughs) It was terrifying. That seems hard to do. (laughs) I know. I got arrested for riding my moped through the park, which apparently everyone uh, everyone else in Amsterdam is allowed to do except for me. I mean, literally while I was getting arrested, there's mopeds zipping (laughs) past me. I mean, my urine Amsterdam was a was a ridiculous that's fun farce but anyway I, love it. I also the best thing that ever happened yeah thank you for telling me those details yeah no it's, it was the worst and also, the do we absolute best just for the the kids out there do we recommend doing some ecstasy and mushrooms absolutely everybody's gonna do it absolutely right? all right I mean I unfortunately I can't say a bad thing about it yeah I mean it does completely ruin your life if you do it that much for a year yeah you can only do something but much. as far as it being a drug to yeah. do I just, I wish I could say anything negative. It makes you feel shitty the next day, but yeah, definitely. What, what is fun that doesn't? Mm, amen. Um, so that is so not how I see the world, by the way. It's, I said that and that's not what I believe at all, <laughs> but it was, you know, I was 20 years old. I'm in Amsterdam. I'm, if I'm gonna do it, I'm going to mm. do it there. Yeah. You know, like do it, meaning lose my fucking mind. Yeah. And so I don't regret it really. I mean, it took me four or five years to piece myself back together, but I don't really regret it. Anyway, point being, yeah. I left after a year, like crying until I was on the plane. I mean, wow. it was the war, the la- my last day there. I, my, I was taking my suitcase. It was pouring rain, <laughs> taking my suitcase to the cab. My suitcase broke open. I mean, like everything <laughs> went wrong until uh, I was in the air. Yeah. Um, and actually just, I, one of the, gr- <laughs> no, it Get did out. not want me there. <laughs> I now have an amazing relationship with Amsterdam. I That's go good. very, very often and I love it. It's very much a second <laughs> home and I love it so, so much. Um, and I made a decision while I was in the air, which was kind of this, the most empowering thing I've ever done, which was, you know, I promise that I'll get back to the improv part of this, but, um, you asked, so <laughs> I'm in the air and I'm like, well, I can either let that be the experience that ruins my life forever or somehow work to make that the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. And I did. And that sort of taught me that I was like, oh, I get to choose like when horrible, terrible shit happens. I get to decide the way that ends up landing. Yeah. Um, you know, in a perfect world, it doesn't yeah. always happen in practice, but it was a real sort of, I remember making that decision very actively. Like I'm not going to let that be the relationship that makes me unable to have a relationship for yeah. the rest of my life. Anyway. So I went back to Chicago and toured with the second city touring company and then was hired on a main stage. And I was a terrible, horrible for shit improviser Hmm. and I think that because I moved sort of through these steps really quickly you know getting on a team and going to boom and Amsterdam and then getting hired on a touring company and getting hired on a stage I didn't have that sort of five years of IO like that Mm -hmm. actual on stage experience behind me like most of the people on on my stage did and so I'm just up there with people who are just First of all, much older than me. And secondly, far more 
seasoned improvisers than I was. And I was embarrassed. I felt good about my writing. I felt like it contributed to the shows. Hmm. But I think I got off stage every single night and apologized to my cast because I just did not have my footing as an improviser at all. And I was a terrible, horrible, garbage improviser for so long and it was so heartbreaking to me and you know when before i went to boom when i was working at second city selling t-shirts and shit uh you know the people who are on stage were people like scott adds it stephanie weir these people who are just they're so good at it that it's like unacceptable and right. unreachable and unattainable so my my role models were like outlandish you know it was just like i would watch stephanie weir and be like well then there's no point in (laughs) any of this really i still feel that way about yeah um feel that way plenty yeah oh my god (laughs) so you know i the bar was set so high for me and i just was nowhere near it and it was really really heartbreaking because it's this thing that once you see it done well you have to do it and it's horrible. It's a horrible, horrible uh, thing to chase. You're speaking right to my soul. Yeah, right exa- well, and that's why I wanted to talk about it because you said to, you know, your existential crisis with, Just, with yeah. improv. So I was a person who never thought I would be a good improviser at all. Mm-hmm. And when I moved to, uh, you know, I, I, w- I did the Aspen comedy festival and became like a really big deal for about 10 minutes. It was really exciting. And I moved to New York with this big, you know, HBO development deal that, you know, obviously has led to, you know, you did the unbridled right? stardom. You? Yeah. <laughs> no, it went nowhere because that's what happens. But um, it gave me enough money to move to New York, which I always wanted to do. And I started improvising at UCB in New York with all these Chicago people, people like Christina Gaussis, who was my level two teacher and uh, Scott Adzit and Kay Cannon and Anthony King and, you know, people who just I have I had absolutely no business being on stage with. And we did that show for five years. Let the the original Let's Have a Ball was every Saturday for five years, sold out. It was amazing. That's great. And that's when I started gaining some confidence in my improv. Um, with just these seasoned, you know, Chicago, you know, Laura Kraft and, and, you know, just people who are simple, were simply, simply in another league. Yeah. Um, and so I always knew like, oh, I can shit the bed and these people will take care of me. And that's what ultimately allowed me to kind of let go a little bit and get better. However, I'm always sort of, you know, I'm a person who I, I truly feel like I'm only as good as the person I'm improvising with. And I, there, that's, that's sort of one thing, you know, you have people like, and, and one of my goals as an improviser is like, I want to be able to improvise with a fucking watermelon and make the watermelon look like a genius. Right. Someone like Scott adds it as someone who can just yank a person off the street. And he does that. He does yeah. that as a show and, and makes it brilliant. I am not that strong an improviser and I, and I true, and I really wish I were. Um, I also, get really scared you know i'll get up on stage with someone who i've never played before or someone who i don't like get along with as a person and i will just freeze and become an idiot and so you know here's you know i can win all the cage matches in the world with heather yeah um but i get on stage with someone who 
either doesn't think I'm a good improviser, which I can smell a mile away. <laughs> For all of you out there, I know that you think that. I get it. <laughs> um, you know, I can there because I think also it's like people who I didn't come up with or people who haven't seen me play a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's this assumption in the way that they play that I am not a strong improviser and I can feel it. Interesting. Um because you can feel when that trust is there and when it isn't. And and what that does is make me a shitty improviser. So there are people that I'm like, I can't improvise with this person because I suck with them. And that's on me. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, 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 it's 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 remarkable to me as a person who was so terrible mm-hmm. as an improviser for so long that people think of me as an improviser who is where they want to be. Um, because I don't think I ever will be. And I hope I'm not, I mean, as a writer and an improviser, I think there's nothing more boring than being like, and I'm done. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm always kind of figuring out like, you know, how to, I don't want to be the best because that's boring too. Um, I always want to have someone that is, Mm -hmm. that I can look at and be like, Oh, but, um, you know, I, I also think it's... I want to be second best. That's what I'm I would love for. to be second best. Second best? I w- that's, that's, that's comfortable the greatest. Spot. That's, that's the, the best. best spot. Yeah. I always, I've always said, like, I would rather... I, I want to be Frank Oz so that I get to work with Jim Henson all day. Yeah. Um, then, you're, then you're the best, but you're not quite the best. Yeah. And you can, can continue to learn from the best. Le- less pressure. Less but I mean, people, I, like, I'm yeah, sure, you know, like, I don't know who listens to this podcast, but I've, you know, I've done shows that are some of the best improv I've seen. And then I've done shows that are garbage this year, you know, like, uh, there's, yeah. there's certain rooms. I'm like, I can't improvise in here. This is sucking the funny out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, and Heather and I actually had never played before, before we got on stage to do cage match. And luckily we sort of like, Oh, okay. You and I kind of shared right. this way of, of playing and moving around. But, um, yeah, I'm nowhere. I'm I'm never never the improviser that I want to be. I, I and I I hope that's good news for. I hope that's good news and yeah. not and not bad news. Um, I I don't think it is. I mean, I don't think it's bad news. I, I feel, I, and I also, I feel like I'm being arrogant somehow. Uh, yeah, I get that. Uh, the any the little bit of humility that you have with it makes it go like, uh, ah, oh, what's she just? Oh, great, she's so good that she doesn't even care that she's that good. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, well, you know, the I had the the privilege of you know, like everyone who thinks I'm that good missed mm-hmm. the fucking fifteen years where I was a garbage mess. <laughs> so you know, that's something also as a teacher that I that I think is really important is for your students to know that like, yeah, it just takes forever and 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 that you should hopefully never be at the point where you're like okay now i'm done and now i'm at the point where i want to be that's the worst that nobody should ever get there uh it's a horrible pursuit is that you the my first interaction with you before you were even here the first i'd ever heard of you was Susie was on my podcast Mm -hmm. this a hundred years ago Uh and she i asked her for what's her like best piece of pearl of wisdom the classic segment of the show Mm -hmm. best piece of advice or note you ever got and she said it was from you Mm -hmm. and it was keep your eyes on your own paper yes and and i will credit that mm-hmm. to actually my uh my first uh manager yeah um christy smith uh who's now you know big fucking deal and um she she used to say that to me and it is 
you know, it's, it's so, it's so important. And so, you know, professionally, creatively in so many different ways, it's really, really, really hard to do. I've had a week this week where I've had a real, like having a hard time keeping my eyes on my own paper week. Yeah. Um, but it's a, I think it's really, really important. It's actually, I think the thing in my, in my professional life that I have the most confidence in is my ability to do that and, and not be like, Oh, my friend so-and-so just got famous. What the fuck? And rather be like, no man, the better all of these people do, the better it is for all of us. You know, we're all a rising generation. I mean, I definitely have moments of like, this person just sold this piece of shit show mm-hmm. and I'm sitting on this little, you know, hunk of genius over here that I can't sell or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there are people that I have taught who are now giant stars. So of course you have moments where you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. But, um, but again, you also have to look at like, yeah, but that person doesn't do what I'm trying to do. Right. So God, good for them doing what they want to do. I'm, um, I'm it's really hard. That. I'm it's impressed really by that hard. because, uh, and you know what, like if I'm going to make a narrative of your life, which I'm going to attempt to do. Yeah. Yeah, please do that. Uh, there, like, I feel like you have like this weird, uh, like, uh, to me, almost impossible, like resilience and confidence, and just like doing stuff. Like you said, you know, you have a weird, you have a weird year in Amsterdam, and you're like, well, is that going to be like how I feel? Is that going to like ruin it for me? Uh, or like, you know, you you learn you learn some improv, and you're like, I'm going to go do it more. I'm going to go on my own and like do it. Uh, like that is remarkable or even when you were talking about like movies and stuff you're like where do I fit into it like oh I don't want to do this type of thing I don't want to do that type of thing and man like I feel like it's so easy for me to fly off the handle and just go like oh fuck why didn't I get this thing and then go like well wait like I, my, my example of recent was like, uh, they, you know, UCB does the mod teams, the sketch teams. I didn't even try to get on. That's right. not even a major focus of mine, but I saw like people get on and I was like, man, why didn't I get on? I should have done that. And I was like, dude, you didn't even try. Like, yeah. why do you care? Uh, and so I'm impressed by that, but it's also seemed to like really have, uh, I guess like driven your career, your journey and improv stuff. And I don't know, it's just, it's impressive. It's interesting. And then when I said it, you were like, I don't think so. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, you know, it's like, I don't know if it's, it's I don't I, you know I don't know if it works as well as other things do I you know could I be farther along and closer to where I want to be probably if I you know but um it doesn't help anything like it doesn't you know I, I think the, the one of the earliest examples for me was you know Jordan who was my writing partner and you know we he and I did a show called two white guys in Chicago which we did two of and that's what got us noticed for boom and at boom he really thrived and I just sunk into a hole of despair mm-hmm. and so what am I going to do begrudge Jordan for being amazing yeah you know uh no of course not mm-hmm. and and you know, what everyone else is doing has nothing to do with what you're doing. Um, again, I have moments, especially, you know, I'm thinking about the past week of my actual life and being (laughs) like, you have not been putting this into practice, ma'am. But, um, it just doesn't, it, it, all it does is create like poison in yourself and, and bile. And, you know, I, that's something I contend with a lot where it's like, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not doing the things I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've made choices along the way um, that ultimately I think sit better with, you know, how I want to look back and, and, and feel about 
how I moved through the world, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I, or I'm, or I'm just scared. I don't know. Um, also, what, 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 what am I, what, what, you know, like yesterday I had a day where I was just like, like Hollywood just did everything it could to just be like, you don't get to come to the party. Yeah. Like you're just not invited to this party. And I got, I, you know, after years and years and years of having similar experiences was like, okay, I really want to, I, I want to be happy. I'm mm-hmm. at this point in my life where it's like, I want to be happy. I kind of honestly at this point do not care what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Like if renting out scooters in Jamaica to tourists is going to make me happy, then I'll be there. That's cool. Uh, I mean, not necessarily, you know, not that <laughs> no, of no, course, no. but I'm like to Jamaica and I'm going to see you there. <laughs> I'll just do whatever at this point makes me happy. That being said, I do want to make comedy and I do want to write and I do have something to say and I do want to say it. And, um, what else am I going to fucking do at this point? You know, like I, I, yesterday I was like, I just, I, I'm, you know, fuck this. I hate that. You know, and my, my, my wife was, was like, you know, you're, you, you can't because you're so smart and you're always right. And you know, your, your thumb is always on the pot, all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, well that's my problem. A and B that doesn't seem to be helping. So fuck it. Like I can't control all the outside stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I got real fed up yesterday, but then today I just was like, well, what am I, what am I going to do? What else am I going to do? Yeah. Um, you know, and there's, and I, I definitely 100%, you know, I have friends and, and know, you know, plenty of stories about people who in, on both, you know, I have friends who are like full on, you know, lawyers who are like, I don't want to do this and got into comedy. Mm-hmm. And I know people who are phenomenal comedians who are like, you know what, this doesn't make me happy. I'm going to go you know, train horses or whatever the fuck. And I'm very much a believer in like, you do not have to do the thing you said you were going to do when you were 17. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a thing that's really hard for people because they can't distinguish between that and failure, you know, making a choice, making a choice for your own happiness versus I failed at this other plan. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know where I fit into that. You know, yeah. I think I'm good at what I do. I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not a genius, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty smart, I think. And mm-hmm. I want to do it. Yeah. I also want to be a happy person, you know, and, and that's important to me. Uh, I really, I respect your point of view on that a lot. And, and I disagree. <laughs> no, well, it's, you know what is, I just, honestly, I want it. Like, I, I think I want that point of view is because I've, I was talking about this improv lately. I was like, uh, I've been like, oh, well, if I just stop doing it, which is what it feels like, impro- the improv party is like, we don't want you here anymore. Oh That's God. how I feel, uh, which is not, totally. not the case, but you know what I mean? I completely understand. Uh, you're like, I'm just like, well, if I if I quit, then that is a failure uh, because it's like, I feel like I'm uh, like, I think there's a little bit of a narrative that's not the best, but like you sacrifice for your, your, your art, your comedy, whatever, like you, yeah. you can. And I think that is true, but there's a thing where you're like, well, where's that, where's that line? Do I need to be I, that's sad what I was this say. for forever? Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I think it's up to every individual person to figure out where that line is. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, sort of where I am right now is trying to figure out where that line is of like, 
uh, you know, on paper and, and on the outside, I, I appear to be doing extremely well. Does that affect my actual happiness? Not really. No. You know, um, I think those I think those external things generally have to, like, about absolutely. To and it makes it your total happiness. Totally. Yeah. And, it may, and it makes it harder. And it, I'm not complaining, of course, no. about those things. I'm very, 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 very lucky <laughs> to be to be doing what I'm doing and to have worked on the things that I've worked on and to, for the most part, be able to look back at the things I've worked on and be like, those are all really good things that yeah. I'm really proud to have my name on. Um, but yeah, I guess I, I think I, I, I am also personally myself, human being wise, there are other things I need. And, yeah. um, you know, I struggle with that in terms of living in L.A. versus New York, um, where it's like, well, you know, I need to be here to have the sort of access and 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 resources to do what I want to do. But does my body and soul want to live in Los Angeles? Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and so that is a sacrifice for sure. It's just like you said, it's finding that line. But it's like before it's like, well, at what point is it no longer what I love to do for a living? Quote, yeah. unquote. You know, the dream is I want to do what I love to do for a living and make enough money to do doing it right. to live. I'm at that point. But at what point does the love to do it part go away? Right. Um, and I think that's really important. And as far as, you know, the scene and mod teams and improv teams and so much some of that stuff, it's like, I think a lot of people kind of forget to look at like, is this actually making me happy? Mm-hmm. This push and pull and up and down. And am I going to get on a team? And oh, I got on a team and now I'm off of a team. And right. like, is the whole thing, is the whole roller coaster making you happy? Right. Because if it's not, you don't have to be on it. Yeah. And I think that that doesn't mean failure. Mm-mm. That just means your it's self care, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's been the past couple of years. I've been trying to more actively, uh, as a put, like you say, be on the roller coaster. It's like I'm just trying to carve out the spot that I like the the place, you know. Yeah, the couple teams that I really like being with, totally. or the couple shows that I really like doing, and you know, uh, uh, working with people, whatever. And it's like. Cause it is too big of a community to, in a way right now to like, try to go like, well, I'm going to be on, I'm going to please everybody and be the perfect. And it's like, nah, that's not it. So like, where's my little spot in it? Uh, and I've been trying to actively create those spaces. And I feel like that is a much better and safer and saner approach. Well, and you know, the, the, the lovely thing and the great news about the, the size of the improv community now and the, and the many ways in which it's sort of branched out Mm -hmm. in, in the same way as television has created all of these different spaces you know every improviser at any level gets now has so many more opportunities to say i want to do it this way and i'm going to do it this way i'm going to do it the ucb way i'm going to do it the 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 um the clubhouse way i'm going to mm-hmm. i'm going to make my indie team i'm not worried about being on a herald team i i'm going to make videos with my friends i'm going to do you know like there's so many different ways of approaching it now which you know 10 years ago weren't there mm-hmm. um and there isn't sort of any more hopefully this idea of this is the right way or the wrong way to do it mm-hmm. um you know obviously having been part of the second city you know, I sold T-shirts at Second City. I worked in the kitchen. I cleaned dishes, and I was always I walked through there every single day and said, "I'm going to be up there one day. I'm going to be on that stage." And then when I was, I was able to, you know, walk by the person selling T-shirts and know that they knew that I was that that I had been there, mm-hmm. and that is a really really great 
piece of like something I'm really, really proud of and really treasure in my career is that I really, I did suck at improv for a long time. I did sell t-shirts so that those people can be like, Hey, Mm -hmm. This person sold T-shirts. Maybe I can be up there one day. Okay. Um, I have a question for you then. uh, And I want to just say, but prefacing this before this, uh, I have all the respect in the world for you. And I do think you're great and everything you've done. This is the one that's going to come. This is going to cut across it, though, is uh, how do you feel? I can't wait now. uh, How do you feel about like the democratization of improv is what I'm going to call it. uh, That comes with the clubhouse. Like. Personally, and I feel like a lot of people, um, eh, well, I'll just keep it on me. I feel like personally, yeah, that's me. Uh, I feel like personally there's a, people have plenty of space and uh, in a way don't need to get better or don't need to, um, get good at improv in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, I think that's unfair. Like I, I, I am admitting that that's Wait, so wait, let me follow you. So wait, you think that, or you think that people think that? I think that let's, yeah, let's, let's own it. I'll own it. Yeah. Okay. So you think that people don't need a place to. Yeah, by having by having a lot of access to uh, performance opportunities, okay. creating shows, whatever, um, there is a sort of uh, quick satisfaction that I think okay. comes with it, and a lack of growth. Interesting. Uh, and I feel like I see shows that I'm like, Oof, how would this? How how do you hang here? How do you stay in this position? It's like, well, I'm comfortable here. I don't. Right. I'm not getting challenged. I don't need to uh, get better. I totally. feel like that's a a symptom. Uh, and. Yeah, I don't know. What do you think of that? Does that sound totally bullshit? Or? No, not at all. I think it's a great. I think it's a great question. I mean, well, first of all, let me you know give you a little bit of the history of the clubhouse. So, yeah. which has been just also again, I love the clubhouse. I think it's great. It's really been helpful in a lot of ways. But I think this is a side effect in my great. opinion. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, and it's good to hear that because I don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> I just make sure the vending machines get stocked. Um, I think that. Uh, Okay, so so mm-hmm. when I moved here from New York, I was still sort of teaching uh, to you know actually pay the bills, and or you know I I moved here with Key and Peel, but like in between, I was I was teaching and, yeah. and I was teaching like at the complex and all these sort of spaces that weren't mine. And in New York, I had my own space, and so I was like, you know, what? I'm going to rent a place like a monthly, you know, I'm going to lease a place that is my own where I can teach. And I found the space where the first clubhouse was, which was this, you know, shithole in an alley. Um, but my intention at that time was just to have a place to teach. It wasn't like, I'm going to start a theater. Right. Um, and so I, you know, built that space out to teach. And I was like, you know, I'll, you know, maybe I can supplement the rent by letting people rent it out for rehearsals and I'll throw a couple lights upstairs. And if people want to do shows, they can do shows. Yeah. So within a week, I had shows from 7 to 1 a.m., seven nights a week. Yeah, that's incredible. So I was like, okay, well, I guess... I guess there was a there was a need for that, yeah, and now of sure. course I don't get to teach here because <laughs> it's now there's shows. It's now booked. Uh, yeah, so uh, back to the club, back to the complex. Um, so it was an accident, yeah. really, um, that really came about from just obviously people, you know, t- basically taking all these shows that already existed in these indie spaces and consolidating them into one place, right? And so then I kind of was forced to figure out like what's my fucking philosophy you know like Mm -hmm. what's the clubhouse what is it Mm -hmm. um 
And I guess knowing, having spent many years in New York teaching and watching the sort of rise of the level of competition to get on Herald teams, to get on improv teams, to get, you know, even the competition between, you know, the Magnet and the Pit and the and UCB and, and all that stuff in New York. Um, and, and the, you know, having students who just sit there and you can tell how just like torn apart they are by you know however many years of notes they've gotten and and how many shows they've done where they feel terrible and whatever and and it kind of it kind of very organically became a place where i was like this is going to be a space where you can't get on a team there's no house form Mm -hmm. there's you know there's no i i can't i can't get say you've graduated from whatever level there's no house curriculum um the way i always taught was you know i taught on my own and let word of mouth do the job and hope that i was a good enough teacher that that filled my classes um and so it was also like open to other teachers who wanted to teach their thing but it was never like under the banner of the clubhouse like isn't this isn't the clubhouse approach um because i think that there are so many places to go for that. Um, you know, every other school has, because they've had to sort of like, yeah. you know, plant their, you know, the flag in the ground in the ground yeah. and say, this is what we do. And this is our form and this is our approach and this is our curriculum and this is our mission and blah, blah, blah. Um, it kind of, for me ended up being a, a place where it was like, uh, uh, where people didn't need to, think about those things, getting on a team, getting kicked off of a team. Um, and, and in no way from, from my end, in no way, in a way that was like, cause it's better that way, but just in a way that is like, here's a place where you just don't have to worry about that. And you can play and you can suck and you can get your 10,000 hours. You know, I, I always sort of talk about how people, you know, I'll have students who are like, you know, I've been doing improv for like a year and a half and I fucking suck and I don't know what's going on. And my answer is always like, well, it could be because you've been doing improv for a year and a half and not 15 years. Talk talk to me in a decade. Yeah. Like, (laughs) and there's this idea in improv that, you know, like when you learn how to play a violin or a piano that you're going to start when you're two years old and you're going to practice every fucking day and then you might get good. Mm -hmm. Um, But with improv, people expect to be great overnight by sort of checking off these boxes of like, well, I said who, what, when, where, and why, and I didn't yeah. ask questions. Why wasn't my scene amazing? Or I studied with Miles and I studied yeah, at UCB. Yeah, so and I should I be that right? good at this point. I did the six classes. <laughs> right. I did all six. Why am I not brilliant? <laughs> I even repeated one. Totally. I feel like um, I am ready. <laughs> and so I think it was just to provide another space outside of that um, and you know, the downside is I can't give you the thrill of, I got on a team or yeah. I, we graduated to be a weekend team. I can't give you that, but I can also save you from, you didn't get on a team and mm-hmm. you got kicked off a team. The other, the other part of it, I think that, you know, is important to me actually is that these shows that are happening at the clubhouse are not failing or succeeding because I decide they're good or not. Right. If your show sucks, nobody's going to come to it. So if nobody's coming to your show, that becomes your job to say, Hey, what are we doing wrong? Or what can we do better? How can we make our show better? And for the people who are producing shows, that's actually a way of, 
having them learn through experience how to produce their shows. And so the, you know, failure becomes its own consequence and success becomes its own reward as opposed to these external. Well, you only had 20 people at your show, so I'm cutting it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the idea is you only had six people at your show. Think about what you can do to get 50 people at your show um, without me looking over everyone's shoulder. Right. A, because I don't want to do that. I don't want to be the the artistic director of a, of a theater. I have my own shit that I want to do. Yeah. I have to figure out, like I said, what yeah. I want to be when I grow up. I get back to New York. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also, um, you know, I, I, the first place I ever taught was at this camp that I went to the mm-hmm. summer camp. And I went there when I was 13 and then I was a CIT when I was 14 and 15. And then I was a counselor and then I went back eight years later and I taught and the I think that that spirit is very much what rules the clubhouse really is just like, you know, the downside is you got to fucking clean up after yourself and mm-hmm. and run your own lights and know how to work the, you know, sound. And it's it's so, you know, it's like a kibbutz. It's like so community run. Yeah. Um, the good news is nobody's going to tell you your show sucked. Nobody's going to give you notes. Nobody's going to say, you know, your attendance isn't high enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I understand what you're saying and I don't disagree. Um, but I think that it's, I, I, I think that, you know, there's, I, I have some people, there are people I know in New York who are just not great improvisers, but they fucking love it. Yeah. And who am I to tell them that they're not allowed to improvise unless they're good? Yeah. You know, like that's reasonable. I, I admire the people I know who are like, I know I'm never going to be this great improviser, but that doesn't mean I don't love doing it. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think, you know, the people who are going to be great improvisers are going to be great improvisers. They're going right. to study at ECB. They're going to study at IO. They're going to study wherever they study. They do to do a hundred shows at the clubhouse. They're going to get great. Right. Um, and I, I super agree. I, with I guess that. it's, yeah. it's, it's giving people just another, another place to play and another place to grow. You know, and and I think, you know, hopefully, hopefully it does create growth in addition to, you know, the people who are like, oh, well, I can just kind of stay at this level and, and, and never and never, you know, get past that because if that is what makes those people happy. I'm, I'm not going to tell them, oh, it, it can only make you happy if you're really good at it. That's, you know, I think uh, I I will. That's a great answer. I think you're really right. Like I first off, like a ton of shows and people I can think of have really stepped up as showrunners and made that like really great shows. Like I totally. think of Manifesto. I think of Catsby. Those are incredible shows that are really well produced, really well thought out. And um, and I think kind of the challenge of being uh, of a lot of shows coming or whatever is they, they've really risen to that. And also, like you're saying, like, I think I think you're right. Like, why? Why does it? <laughs> yeah. Why does it matter if people are that good or bad or whatever? Like they should be allowed to do it. I'm not saying they should take it away. Uh, But I think part of that, I I think part of the uh, uh, some of that anxiety that I I personally feel. And again, again, I'll no, it'll be me. I personally feel is like, oh, this is a business town. Uh, And it's like, well, what are you doing, man? Like you're just goofing around. You're trying to do comedies, but you're not really trying. Um, And I think that's an unfair thing. And it is. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, I I feel that way about 
things that are on television and <laughs> yeah. movies that are made. Yeah. I mean, I feel that way about, you know, there are TV shows that I'm like, this is the show you wanted to make? Yeah. Pe- or, or people that I know are geniuses. Yeah. That I'm like, this is the movie you chose to do? Yeah. You know, so I, I don't feel like that is limited to, you know, you know, the priest's quote unquote success landscape. I think that's, fair, um, yeah. you know, I, I think also be, you know, because there's, you know, 70 plus, however many shows there are at the clubhouse Ooh. now, I didn't do it. It was an accident. <laughs> um, that's incredible. I love it. Uh, you know, people really are, you know, I mean, I know cause I get the show requests yeah. and part of that questionnaire is what makes your show different. Mm-hmm. And I think people, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of shows at the clubhouse that are like, Oh, we can just kind of do this. Yeah. But I do think there are a lot of shows that are like, no, we're, you know, out of 70 shows or whatever at the clubhouse, we're going to make this show stand out. Right. We want people to come and we don't, we just want our, the people who are in the show to see the show. Yeah. And I think that there, you know, I've certainly been at shows at the clubhouse where I'm like, Jesus Christ, this place packed. Yeah. Um, and and part of it, you know, I guess too for me is is that there is a place where people can kind of choose their own adventure. Yeah. Like we just want to do this little show, you know, versus like we want to make this a fucking thing. Right. Um and and I think we have both of those. You know, we have, you know, Absolutely. we have we have all across the board uh, over there. Um I guess it was, I guess a lot of it came from, you know, just seeing the pain of, you know, so hundreds of students yeah. that I've taught that are just like, I just, you know, I want a place to be able to just fail right. and grow uh, and well, I not think, feel like I'm auditioning every day. I think at UCB, it probably would have exploded somehow, regard, like it was it, the, the number of people going through that school uh, and continuing to be around. That was something like that what the clubhouse is and what it's become, I think would have to, would have to be born anyway. Uh, but I think luckily like kind of under, uh, a little bit of, I mean, you know, your, uh, let's say laissez-faire, uh, Mm -hmm. guidance, uh, like you're not going like, Oh, it's a bad show. It's a good show or whatever. Um, I think that's actually probably been a better thing for the community because it's like, Oh, well we're trying to do this and Becky's house where people care about it. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I, I, you know, I don't know if what you said is how the clubhouse is thought of that it is in some way no, lowering no. the bar or, no, 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 no. or sort of this, <laughs> this, this feeling of like, Oh, you can just kind of get away with doing bullshit there. No. Um, I don't know. Cause I'm not in the community in that I, way. I think, I think, uh, a thought that I think is in the community and that I personally have had sometimes is, uh, too many shows and Agreed. people don't care. Uh, and I've personally felt that sometimes too. If it just like say showing up to a show and be like, I mean, why the fuck would I give a shit at this show? I and completely that is, agree. And one bad. of the one of the timing, what the you know, a, a kind of shitty thing about the time, a timing issue, is that when the the original clubhouse. Um, Stopped. We were going to renew our lease. Yeah. I was told we couldn't. I was told that the the owners of the building were going to use it as office space or yeah. something. So they I was like, well, now I have 35 shows that I can't just make homeless. Yeah. So I have to find another place for this. And the only way to afford the space was to create two spaces. Yeah. And so I knew I was oversaturating, but also the UCB sunset, which had sat <laughs> dormant for two years or yeah. however long suddenly opened. Yep. So literally in With the same week, I know <laughs> yeah. literally in the same week, yeah. four new improv stages yeah. opened. And, uh, you know, that was certainly not 
you know, the intent. We yeah. were, A, we were supposed to open a lot earlier, but when you're trying to build handicap accessible oh, bathrooms, it just takes yeah. fucking forever. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable that yeah. that process was so insane. Um, but yeah, you know, like, of course it wasn't like, I'm, you know, let's open 25 theaters. I did. Yeah. I also didn't know UCB Sunset was going to have two theaters. I think now those first couple months were a shit show because it was just like audiences, you know, you're just yeah. stealing everyone's audiences from each other. Yeah. Um, but I think now it's sort of calming down a little bit. Yeah. You know, I certainly, I had, you know, it was never, of course, my intention to, you know, create a space that would, you know, fuck anyone else's show. You know, no. I also coming from New York, so many of the theaters are, are, are were created out of feuds. Yeah, and there's a lot of like, uh, you know, a animosity between <laughs> yeah. those places. Yeah. Which I think, you know, for the students, it doesn't matter. They're like, fuck it, I'm just going to take classes everywhere and get good. You guys mm -hmm. can all argue behind the scenes. That doesn't right. affect me at all, or at least a smart student does that. Um, so you know, my I have zero interest in. Mm -hmm being any part of that uh you know for the clubhouse to be like well we're not this and we're not, you know like we're, we're this sort of anti ucb or we're the anti io like there's i have yeah. absolutely no interest in in any of those we things. were very democratic about it very early on i think about what the clubhouse was well, part and of just it like i'm not I'm not trying to beat or become no. UCB or IO or anything. I'm just, this is a space. And also and I think that's really great. Part of it was for me, for me was that is not what I want to do for a living. Right. I do not want to be a theater manager for a living. Right. I want to be a writer. I want to be an actor. I want to do the things I want to do. So I had to make a lot of rules for myself personally. When I, when the clubhouse turned into what the clubhouse turned into, I had to make, I, I had to make rules for myself. I'm like, I am not going to spend uh, time on this that I need to be spending on my own work. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to spend money of my own mm -hmm. on this. So it has to be able to run and pay for itself. Right. Um, so there were a lot of, a lot of rules for me in terms of, you know, this, the amount of space I was going to let it take up in my own life. And what the beauty of it, because it's community run mm -hmm. is that, uh, that's part of, the function of it is that everybody it's everybody's space and yeah. they're, they're in charge. Oh, I'm, uh, I, I admire that. And I feel like I have instantly come to respect the whole situation way more. And I think <laughs> other people will too. Um, well, and again, I'm, I'm sad to hear it was, it's so disrespected out there. No, I, again, I want to make that super clear. I don't think anybody has ever been like the clubhouse is the bad thing or you have done something bad. I think it's, I think it's more been like people are letting themselves, Themselves relax into a state of of not caring of good enough of good enough and I, I think yeah. that's and I think you would probably agree that's an unhealthy state for almost anything I totally agree yeah nobody but, ever wants to be you said like you said I don't want to be the number one improviser and be like well I'm done like fuck no, of that course. but know? I think the people who are going to do that are going to do that wherever they go 100 and I think the people who are going to be like it's never good enough are going to be it's never good enough wherever 100%. they go yeah that being said in the meantime if you you know if there's a if there's a place for people who love improv who aren't the best improvisers in the world great they need that oh can i can i put I mean, you a show dude, called not the best i can't <laughs> i can't the reason i'm in cage match mm -hmm. is because i can't get a show at ucb yeah 
grandma improvising for twenty. No, brand new no. Ball. Yeah, cause because you guys were doing we, it for a while. What happened was also just a, such a love show too. Thank <laughs> you. The the what happened was you know that's a show that ran in New York for five years straight, sold Let's out every weekend. Let's have a ball. Mm-hmm. And um, what happened when we got here is that we were given. Friday, every other Friday at seven. seven. Yeah. So everyone in that show, because they're all these, you know, seasoned Chicago improvisers, the reason they moved here is because they all got writing jobs. Right. So no one in the show could play. <laughs> so it was impossible for us to kind of like build the show and be like, this is the cast. Come to the show. Yeah. What happened was we started subbing people in great people, people like Betsy Sidaro, people like Mary Holland, people like Drew Tarver. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, because, uh, you know, Sunset had opened and stuff. Uh, there was this concern of like, yeah, but these people are already in all these other shows. Yeah. To which I was always sort of saying, well, They're the good. people who are in the show can't do the show at yeah. seven o'clock on Friday because they're the head writer of this show. Right. So give them a little break. So we kind of got squeezed out. And, and that's something that you don't really have to deal with in New York because the industry isn't quite as you know yeah. present. Yeah. Um, and now, actually, uh, on top of your, you know, saying, you know, at the, in terms of quality of shows at the clubhouse, uh, Brand New Ball is moving to the clubhouse. Really? So hopefully that will be sort of a, a flagship oh, that's show great. there. You know, and, you know, we have Britannic and, and you yeah. know, shows that are have their own sort of, you know, yeah, they're, they're uh, following. audience. Yeah. So my hope is to make Brand New Ball sort of a, a go, you know, a go-to you know, thing at the clubhouse um, where so it can live there. All right. I've done a bad job on this podcast so far. I've done a bad job because I can't stop talking. You're great. This is all very interesting and helpful stuff. I feel like I need to focus and actually talk about improv because this is called improv obsession. So in the last little bit of this, let's talk about, okay, so you came here again, you came to LA and instantly everybody was talking about you. Just like, is that true? Oh my God. I have no sense of that. Uh, I feel the opposite. Really? I feel like you came in like uh i was gonna say like a wrecking ball but i don't know if that's positive from that song so uh anyway you you came in like a wrecking ball i wish i felt that way but okay Uh, like people were instantly like have you seen becky drysdale she's doing the show she's so good she's so different she's so whatever uh and then the then he started teaching uh and same same thing it's like oh my god she's better best teacher (laughs) uh there you had some cronies out there uh and i never got to take one of those classes i never got to see what the hype is about uh anyway i want to know and and i when the first couple times I saw you too, I was like, oh yeah, she's different. How is she different? She's really good. How is she really good? What is she doing that's different? And so I want to know from your perspective, or I guess maybe an easier question is like not instead of what makes you good from your perspective, what differentiates you now ish or to the time when you moved to LA from being the garbage improviser that you say you were or now, like what's, what is it now? What's your approach? What's the thing that makes it difference? First of all, you know, it's so interesting to hear that because, you know, from my point of view, it's like everyone moves to LA and are instantly put on these improv teams and everyone gets tons of stage time at UCB. And I came here and I didn't get to play ever like that. That's how, that's how I feel. That's interesting. Um, And and then like slowly got kind of, less and less time at UCB and now yeah. I'm like well fine I'll do cage match and win my stage <laughs> time and like yeah. I don't you know I don't want Heather to get mad at me but I don't want to be in cage match I would like to do a show at the theater <laughs> well, which was my home for five well, years in New York Heather City. Miles felt too they're like why can't I know, we do a show? I know. Yeah. Well we're working on it but uh, you know like cage match isn't you know we're we broke it. Um, yes you did. <laughs> 
Uh, and by the way, not in a way that we were like, yeah, we got that. Like we have teams that come up and we're terrified of all the time. And yeah. we're like, well, this is our last night. It was fun. Yeah. Um, so we've just been very lucky, but, um, what made that change? I think, I think that, you know, everyone knows that sort of, you know, roller coaster of like, I was really good for a while and then I got in my head and then I really sucked for a while. And then I was like, I quit. And then I just didn't do it for two years. And then I came back and, you know, like everyone does that in a certain yeah. point. And everyone's journey is a little bit different, but I think it's all made up of the same elements yeah. <laughs> of some just like getting fed up and then getting really confident and then saying, fuck it. And then being like, forget it. And all of those things. Um, for me, I th like I said before, a really, really huge part of it was being lucky enough to get to play with people who are just simply better than I am. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, if you had told me, when I was selling t-shirts at second city that I would ever do a show with Scott adds it or Stephanie, I would have been like, that's mean. Yeah. You're <laughs> making fun of me. You know, um, I think that part of it, and this is something I say in classes a lot too, is I never got past level three anywhere. Not because I didn't pass them, but because yeah. I went to boom or whatever. Gone, yeah. Um, and so I never had this sort of like locked in sense of like, this is how you do this. And like, this is the technique and this is, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think that people <laughs> struggle a lot with, you know, like the thing that makes me funny and the thing that makes me you know, the way I observe the world is not making it on stage with me. Like I, 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 I'm killing it at the bar and then I get on stage and I'm like an idiot. And I, I don't know why what makes me funny is not coming on stage with me when I improvise. Yeah. And I think that that gap just takes a really long time. I mean, I've seen people just be like out of level one, amazing. And I'm just like, fuck you. Yeah. Fuck but, that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but for me, it certainly took a really, really long time and I'm still trying to do it. And I struggle a lot with, um, like, why am I really great with this person? And then this person steps on the stage and I'm an idiot. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned it's, you, it's, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's so different for every person. I think time is a, is a big part of it. I think, you know, um, I am also from a different generation. I didn't come up in this time of like, I have to get on a Herald team as my entire self-worth is based on whether I get on this Herald team or not. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't have I feel that. so worthy if I could just get on a Herald team. I know, well, well, and, and when I was doing it, I mean, Second City, you know, was the thing. People came from all over the world to get on a Second City stage. Yeah. But the difference between that and this is that that's also a job. Right. So it made sense to be like, oh, my God, this yeah. I have this dream. I of could, doing I what I love to work do, and the thing I love, and it's actually a job, yeah. and I get insurance. Yeah. So you know, cut to however many years later, there's 600 people standing in line to audition for a Herald team, where you get to play for a half an hour twice a month mm -hmm. in New York, uh, and it's like it's not even a job. Yeah. It's just for that you yeah. know thing of being part of this 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 beautiful you know cycle. Right. Um. And it and it is. I I I would never say anything negative about it. you know getting on a on a stage and and being a part of that institution was amazing and i'm and it's something i'm so proud of so i yeah. would never poo poo it for someone who's like fuck i want to get on that team i get it yeah um 
I think part of, you know, I, uh, I guess <laughs> if the question is how did I get better? Mm-hmm. Try that. Yeah. Time. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of different phases of I suck and I'm great and I play great with this person. And I, a lot of it has to do with finding the right people to play with who are like, yeah, this person and my, my brain and this person's brain are dancing together. Right. And, and my person and this person, my brain and this person's brain don't. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, like just because that person's great doesn't mean we're great together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's okay. You know, it's like a relationship. It's like, I love this person. That doesn't mean we should be together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. Let's not get I, into I, that. I, I, can't, I can't. I zagged it. I don't know. I think, you know, it's finding the balance between like, yes, I want to get on a team. Yes. I want to do these things, but also I'm cultivating my own skill and my own, the things I want to do creatively. And, yeah. you know, I, I, there are so many people I admire who are, you know, on paper, nowhere near where I'm at. And mm-hmm. I'm like, God, I wish I was that person. Yeah. They wake up every day and they write something. They make, wake up every day and they shoot something. They, you know, they're on this improv team and, and, you know, they're doing 10 shows a week, you know? Yeah. And, they would look at me and be like, but you're doing it. I'm like, yeah. no, you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's just a lot of it depends on everyone's different idea of what, what there means. Well, okay. One thing I think that about this is like you, let's let's compare it to a relationship for just a moment or improv. You didn't want to do that. I know I can't. Okay. <laughs> um, I, 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 I've, I was talking, I've talking to dude, spoken to dude friends about this and I feel like um, it's not an uncommon uh, I'm sure everybody knows this trope of a guy who just goes like well why can't I just get a girlfriend um, and uh, they're just in the worst space in the world and I, I really believe I'm like oh until you uh, decide that you love yourself enough mm-hmm. to be uh, and not try to do the things for the girls but do the things for you mm-hmm. you will be loved like and it's I think that's a that's a quite a I think that's just a place that it takes a long time to figure that out. Totally. And I feel like the same thing in a weird way about doing this improv thing or like trying to get it is like, oh, as long as you're sitting there going like, you're my idol. Like, I love you so much. Please let me let me be. Let me worship at the altar. Please. You see me like, you know, uh, the longer you're doing that, uh, the less attractive I think you are and the less good you are. And I think that clarity or having a little bit of clarity and doing stuff for you, which is a thing that I really think you're always seem to be doing is doing stuff for you and like the best way. Uh, uh, it's like actually helps you grow and be better and good. It's interesting because I think, you know, like there are people that I, that I've really looked up to in the past and I've, I'm, I've made it very clear to that. I, you know, I'm not subtle about things like that mm-hmm. um, or have not been in the past who then <laughs> I have ended up playing with like someone like Scott, um, you know, or uh, Christina Gauss and, and so on. Um, I know I'm like talking about these Chicago people that are like, who is this old lady Everybody talking about? Knows who they are. Okay, good. I never uh, know. I know, you know who they are. I don't know, I don't know how long people got memories are. But anyway, yeah. so, you know, someone like Christina or someone like Scott, I got to the point where I was playing with all the time and, and I am able to be like, I can play with you and also at the same time admire, respect, and idolize you. Or yeah. I'm able to put that aside and be on stage with you and not be a turd. On the other side of that that coin, there are people who I've always looked up to 
and created that sort of one way relationship with where I'm like, I'm obsessed with you that I then have not gotten the chance to play with or work with again. And so there are certain people out there that my relationship with is still I'm the T-shirt girl and you're on stage. And it's so Weird, because I'll see those people like the, at the Emmys or something, and I'll immediately be put. I'll immediately be nineteen again, yeah, and be like, "Oh my god, that's so and so." Because my my growth, you know, we didn't witness each other's mm-hmm. growth, so the relationship was just totally one sided yeah. on my on my end, yeah. and I immediately am just like I I can get I shrink so yeah. quickly when I'm when I there are certain people that. Um, that I'm like, well, you didn't, you don't know that I now actually do this. And I still feel from those people like they're like, why is she here? Yeah. How did she get into the Emmys? <laughs> is she selling t-shirts yeah. at the Emmys? And there's this tiny, you know, there's this tiny part. Yeah, exactly. There's this <laughs> tiny part of me that wants to be like, no, I'm a writer and I did it and I'm here. And, and then there's a part of me that really um, treasures those relationships. Um and and I I'm very 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 big on on keeping my heroes in place. Mm-hmm. Whether I whether I end up working with them or we end up being peers uh, or not, you yeah. know, always sort of just having one eye on. I never want to not look up to you in that way. I never yeah. want to not think of you in that way. And um, you know what you you know what you're saying. And it's a choice. It's uh, a choice. You have a spot in between. I think I think you've nailed this. Is like uh, there. Like, we can both agree that going ooh please is like kind of a terrible position. Right. But also on the other side of it, going and I'm sure you've heard this too. Is like man, fuck this UCB bullshit. Fuck that. That's right. the worst. And I or or you know fuck this player person or like yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, and I'm sure there are plenty of people who feel that way about me. Uh, I yeah. I mean, I got a lot of letters before you. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but what it is, is what you, I think probably the best spot. And I, th- I really think you've nailed it is you want to be the master of both worlds. You want to both, uh, have a, uh, a reverence and a respect for it, but also not a, uh, a need, a, a diet, you know, like, yes. a please God. And I think that they're both phases that everyone needs to go through. I think everyone yeah. needs to have their, well, fuck this, you know, really rebellious, like oh, yeah. anarchist moment of I just like, them. well, I don't need it. I'm not do it. And you so go many- through that list of people who never got on a team, but are still famous. And that yeah. like lets you live for a few yeah. months. Um, yeah. Do you have that uh, PDF that I can see? Yeah. I mean, like, yeah it'd be helpful. <laughs> the telepathic PDF. Of, you know, it's like, well, you know, you know, they thought Einstein was retarded. <laughs> that it's the same PDF. Yeah, um, it's, it's the same as that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it, oh, and you need really that. Funny. You need that. Like, oh shit, there at least are examples of people who didn't get on a team and still did what they want to do. What they're mm. going to do. All of that. You, you know, you need those moments. You also need those times of like, this is everything, and I'm going to put it all on the line, and yeah. this is what I'm going to do. You know, like they're just. You know, you got to go through. I think all of those, all of those phases and different orders. But and you know, I've certainly been through all of them um it's just the institution that changes it's just it's going to be second city for this decade it's going to be ucb for this decade it's going to be io for this decade right um there's always going to be an institution and there's always going to be the punk rock underground rebellion against it um uh, so yeah, I don't. I don't really have a negative to say to, thing to say about either of those phases, except for they're both gonna happen. Yeah, 
Um, it's all just this long, long wave. I, somebody, I want an early teacher. I think it might have been Craig Kukowski kind of laid that out. He's like, it's you know, up and down and up mm-hmm. and down. And it's an upward trend. And I was like, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, it, yeah, you're absolutely yeah. fucking yeah. right. It's yeah. just that. Okay. Um, uh, oh, I feel like I mean, how, so does it have to be a certain length? No, no, no. I just I don't want to be disrespectful of your time. You've, oh, you've I don't been care. here. Okay. Uh, well, we might go. A little I bit am over. being dis- disrespectful. No, you're of doing my great. own time by being like, and then it was <laughs> 1999. Uh, good year. Uh, okay, so yeah, it was a good year. Oh, te- uh, so teaching just a little bit. Then yes. what do you emphasize? I feel like uh, if I hear from, I, I never got to take one of your classes. Like, there's always there'll always be more time, and there never was. Uh, what <laughs> do you teaching. what do you some now. Really? Yeah. Uh, what happened to the I promo- list? I promoted terribly, apparently. Yeah, I didn't know. I feel like I never... Hey, sweetheart. I feel like there's no way to know. There's like a there's few a things. There's a dog. I didn't just go crazy. <laughs> to to, to Hi, lose your mind. Hey, apparently. honey. <laughs> um, so what do you teach? I feel like a lot of the people who come from you say like emotional reactions, oh. that's the stuff. My dog has yeah. jumped into your lap. Oh, I love he it. He said that you're now my new best friend. Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't have taught it. him that that's okay. No, it's fine. And feel free to kick him Again, off. Again, I have 70 pound pit bull, so this is like... This is like a like a Q-tip jumped up my lap. I'm very happy about it. Um, I focus. I mean, my classes are on scene work because mm-hmm. I kind of feel like there's you know almost anywhere you go, you take you know level one and level two, and then you start learning whatever form that place teaches. And so there's not a lot of time for just like scene work. Yeah, and it's it's you know I hear myself saying this, and I can I can you know <laughs> I can hear someone listening to the, this being like. The hell does Drysdale know about scene work? Um, and 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 listening. <laughs> I don't know who this hater is. Well, so no, that. it's not. It's not that I know I have a hater. It's that I know that I don't like everyone, and yeah. so I'm very aware and open to the idea that not everyone's going to be my biggest fan. Oh, for and sure. That's fine. Yeah. Um, and and all of those people who have only seen me improvise terribly. Yeah. Who are like, why do people want to take classes with this person? <laughs> um, like, there's God, no. there are and there are there are pods and cells of categories of human beings that have only seen me do just garbage improv. Yeah. So they're list- I would imagine if they're hearing this improv, it's like, why are you even talking to this person? But anyway, that's their problem. Um, yeah, it is. Listening, because I think that, you know, I, I think that I, people, I, the, I teach the level I teach, which is like you've passed level four mm-hmm. somewhere. Because the level you never passed. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you've passed. I didn't have to pass. You passed it. Um, and, you know, you have all this curriculum in your head. You have four million notes from class and your 12 indie teams. Um, you have, you know, and so you're in this place where you're improvising kind of through a minefield of either notes you've already gotten or notes you're afraid to get. Mm-hmm. And while you're doing all this improv work on stage and you're like, have I said who I am and where we are and I'm not asking questions and I can't do a transaction and oh shit, I just said no and all that stuff. The big thing you're not doing is listening to your scene partner, yeah. which is where all the gold and candy and nuts and joy are, is coming from. Yeah. And so a lot of the stuff that I do in class is just to get you to refocus on the fact that everything you need is already there. Yeah. Um, a lot of it too is sort of like taking some of those passive language out of improv, like finding the game or, you know, finding the unusual thing as opposed to creating the game or making the thing unusual. Yeah. You know, the, the, the example I always give in every one of my first classes is, you know, the difference between, you know, someone initiating and saying, how was your day at work? 
And the answer being, it was good. How was yours versus, oh my God, you've never asked me that before. And so you're immediately making the question, making the initiation unusual as opposed yeah. to waiting around for something unusual to happen. You're creating a game rather than waiting for one to be discovered. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and then a lot of the focus is, is how to communicate on stage through heightening rather than trying to trying to pass your scene partner secret scripts that they're never going to receive. Mm-hmm. Um, I find a lot in the way that, so, so for me, it's this, it's you, you have spent all this money taking improv classes, getting these sort of training wheels because you got to get up somehow. You have to be able to do a scene somehow. So you have to be able to get up there, do your who, what, when, where, why, all that stuff. And just get up there and do a scene. But at some point, those training wheels are going to have to come off for you to get further. Mm -hmm. And I find that a lot of students, advanced students have not had someone come in and just help them take those training wheels off Mm -hmm. because you do get to the point in improv where it's like, it's not about, it's not that you can't have an argument, right? It's that you're, you're, you and your scene partner can't have an argument, right? You can have an argument, yeah. But you and your scene partner need to agree on what that argument is and how it moves forward. Right. For me, you know, I, I use this example all the time of you can't tell me that I can't ask questions in a comedy scene when I live in a world where I'm told the best comedy scene of all time is who's on first. Right. So you have to have rules for your improv and rules for your comedy that can apply to all of the scenes you're going to do. Right. Um, and not limit you when you get into a situation where you're like oh fuck the game of this scene is asking questions or the game of this scene is saying no yeah you also can't tell me i can't get into an argument on stage and then tell me to play it real so it's taking kind of all of these isms and statements and bumper stickers and and things you learn to be able to get on stage and just do a damn scene right and then kind of redefining them so that you can do good scene work and do the kinds of scene that you scenes that you see that make you want to do improv well it's interesting how you put it like to kind of taking the training wheels off and um uh, they have to go on. They have they to. have to come off. Well, the thing about what's what's hard about it, and it's it's just so tough, is because if you think about it, and I'm sure, I'm sure what you're saying about taking these training wheels off is like there are the rules that apply to everything are super simple and almost not helpful in the beginning. They're just like you have to basically agree with what they're saying. You you have to try to be affected by things, uh, care about stuff. Like the rule, the few rules that there are, are so small, so simple. But if you just tried to do that, you gave like the nobody, you know, brand new improviser those rules, they would fall apart. They would right. instantly fall apart. So all the other weird rules come on top of it. No transactions, no right, fighting. Right, right. Uh, don't do teaching scenes, whatever. And then it's like all this stuff. And then it's like, oh, you've gotten so rigid in your application. All these like side rules that were really just meant to keep you up. You can't like do anything anymore. Yeah, you're just paralyzed. You're just paralyzed. And I think, just that's, like, uh, yeah, I I think that's the big gap between, hey, what makes me funny as, you know, as a, as a person at the bar versus mm-hmm. what happens to me on stage where I'm just like a paralyzed yeah. improv robot. <sighs> Why did I take one of these you're, classes? You're, <laughs> <laughs> you're improvising around every note you've ever gotten. Yeah. And the notes you've heard everyone else get. You know, the other thing I try to kind of say in every class too is like you know the notes you get on a scene are the notes you got for that scene do not 
you know, as tempting as it is, don't apply those notes to scenes that don't even exist yet. Cause right. they might not be, they, you know, they might be ex- the exception of the rule or yeah. whatever. Um, I, I also try really hard to like kind of t- contextualize a little bit and say, you know, the Herald itself is like, you know, I mean, I, I may be wrong about this. I'm sure someone out there will correct me. Um, you know, IO started in 1981, and I think the Herald came a couple of years after that. Right. And so, you know, this this thing with all these rules is like 32 years old. So for anyone to be like, this is how this is done and this right. is how this goes. And if yeah. then these are the rules and this is the right way and this is the wrong way is insane to me. Yeah. We're all we are all in the infancy of this form of this art form that doesn't even, that isn't even a tangible art form. It's not even like, and you can see how it worked because the paintings on the wall. Right. Imagine if film had never changed since the forties. Right. They're just like, we got it. It's like the only art form that does that, you know, where it's like, this is how you do it. Yeah. And that seems crazy to me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, it, you know, I, when you compare it to something like art school, where it's like, yeah, you got to learn how to mix your paints and you got to learn how, what turpentine does and matte medium and all those things. And you got to learn how to stretch a canvas and all the, that stuff. But that has nothing to do with the kind of painter you're going to be. Right. Um, and I think people confuse those things. People are like, well, I learned how to fucking, I learned the things I needed to do to make a good scene. Why are my scenes sucking? Yeah. I have all the rules, yeah. which is also uh, another thing that I was going to say. I admire. I feel like you talk about your writing career, how you're starting this like movie thing now and the improv right. thing. And uh, I, I just want to say that I admire that because I spend all of my time trying to learn and get the permission how to do it. These you're are right. all screenplay books that yeah. I'm pointing out here. And I'm like, you know, like maybe if I just figure out all the rules and then at a certain point you're like, I mean, just who fucking cares? Like write some stuff, right. figure it out, make it good. Um, I want to talk, uh, I think maybe that's the thing why I think you had a lot of, um, flash when you came to town. If I, if I'm going to say that, <laughs> that is uh, clearly died down, <laughs> uh, Hey, uh, you know, once you want well, everything uh, that's new gets old, yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, but when I think you say like listening, like at the nuts and candy, I, I think I, I think that might be the thing that I saw more than anything from you is like a little, uh, it's not the game. It's not the funny thing of the scene. It's not what we're used to, but somebody says a line and then you just throw out a little thing. That's a response, uh, that almost has nothing to do with anything. And it's like, oh yeah, but that's like funny. It's who you are. You're speaking to the moment. It's clever. Uh, uh like you were, you were funny outside of the game. And I think that was the thing that like you really do well, or at least that's i don't know that's my perspective i'm also a big fan of playing with nothing like i i love heightening nothing like i i love you know i don't want to come in with a premise i don't want to come in with like an idea i don't you know like the less there is out there the happier i am you know i i love making meals out of uh, with absolutely nothing that's that's one of my favorite and and i play with heather that way and i play with Susie that that way yeah we'll turn a game out of you know we'll make a game out of saying hello, you know, whatever, out of nothing, um, which I really enjoy. Um, And so much of my favorite, you know, comedy that is, you know, kind of vaudevillian at its base is that. Yeah. You know, I mean, my favorite one of my favorite comedy teams is, you know, Bert and Ernie, you know, and (laughs) it's it's funny to me because people are like, I'm struggling with game and I don't game and and it's like watch five Bert and Ernie sketches, (laughs) watch Airplane, you know, uh, watch who's on first. Watch 20 Looney Tunes cartoons. Right. And then we'll have this conversation again. Right. And it's, you know, like if you look at something like uh, the Roadrunner and Wiley e. Coyote, same game since 1933. Yeah. They've got it. Same game. <laughs> yeah. 
height and height and height and yeah. different locations. That's it. Not even. Yeah. Um, Just the desert. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and it all, and it comes down to, to like the, like whatever nine, you know, nine or it's either nine or 11 original, like Commedia dell'arte lots. It's either right. a chase or a love scene, you know, like it's, right. it's all very basic, you know, ingrained innate comedy stuff. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's always interesting when people are like, but I'm struggling with game. Yeah. The word game. It's like, yeah. but you're not. You know how to play a game when you're when you're a baby. Yeah. Uh, it's easy to get wrapped up in that one. Uh, one thing that, is, that you said that really perked my ears was uh, communicating. Is that Guggenheim? Uh, that is the Lego Guggenheim. Yeah. I made it out of Legos. You made it? Yeah. I mean, they have like instructions. Oh, I thought you were, I was like, where did you get round ass Guggenheim shaped Legos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's There's great. instructions. They have a whole architecture series. I'm a, admittedly a fan of Legos. So I know. Well, I can tell you're <laughs> literally the nerdiest person I've ever seen. Yeah, I'm okay with that. That's great, um, though. Uh, so, I be you. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's okay. Uh, okay, one thing that pricked my ears, you said uh, communicating through heightening as opposed mm. to a, a hidden message. Uh, and I feel like there's a lot of like languages that we all kind of say, like, here's how you say what the game is, or here's how mm-hmm. you do it, or sometimes you just say it. Uh, are you, what do you mean by that? I would just no, what teach, are you me, talking about? teach me, teach uh, me, um, right I think, <laughs> I think for, you know, if, if you're at the point in a scene where you're, where you're ready to be like, Hey, how come everything I say you get defensive about, mm-hmm. uh, rather than saying that mm-hmm. playing it and telling your scene partner, Hey, I noticed this by heightening it. And, and also, you know, getting on the same page through heightening. For example, if I, you know, if I say to you, uh, baseball, uh, baseball printer, uh, uh, revolution, uh, Rosh Hashanah, mm-hmm. you're going to sit there and be like, I, I, I'm lost and I have no idea where to go and what the fuck. Yeah. If I sit here and say two, four, six, you know yeah. exactly what to say. Right. So you know, rather than kind of having these conversations on stage that are like, do you see what I'm doing? Yeah. Like, are you getting on a picking up what I'm putting down by actually actively heightening in a very clear direction? You're telling your scene partner, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Get on board. Um, and vice versa. I I love that. I feel uh, when I coach, sometimes I say like, if you're hitting a game or you're trying to do a game and they're not picking it up or whatever, then just do it some more. Like you need, or I say like, or they'll they'll go like, oh well, they didn't pick up on it, so I thought it wasn't enough. I'm like, do it bigger. Uh, They'll get it. They'll be bothered. They'll be so or make that part of the game. Yeah, they'll be there. They can't not respond to it. That's really interesting. I I think what happens though in that, and just to like counter that a little bit, is there's um uh, the type of games that are let's just say a call and responsey type of game, Mm -hmm. like you said every. Every time, every time I ask you a question, you get so offended. Let's say that's a game. Uh, well, if my game is getting so offended uh, mm-hmm. when every time you ask a question and you're not asking me a question, mm-hmm. then it's hard. I feel like there's the moment where it's like, well, dude, you got to go back to the game. And I feel right. like that's where we end up with these like coded languages of like, oh, you're always asking me questions and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, to me, it's I also find this happens so much in improv scenes where somebody I mean, in a perfect world, you won't ha- you don't have to be like, <laughs> I spotted the game and I'm going to say it out loud. Yeah. But it does happen a lot where someone like, we are always so defensive or mm-hmm. why are you always so hyper? Whatever the fuck. To me, it's like, oh, great. My scene partner just did all the work for me, told me exactly what to do, told me exactly what our relationship is and how we interact. 
done. You know, I see so many improv scenes where, you know, the um, the whole scene is let's find the game. Mm-hmm. And then when the game is found, the edit happens because everyone's like, oh, oh my God, God, they found it. Everybody Fuck, run. That's the worst. You know, it's know. like they struggled and they looked and they found it. And yeah. now let's celebrate by editing as opposed to, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, really, people yeah. clap and laugh I because know. they're like, they did it. I know. It's but, so um, bad. <laughs> it hurts so but much. It, I mean, it's pretty normal. Yeah, but it's, yeah. ideally you want to find the game and play it and then edit when the game has been played. Yeah. Yeah. And the pattern has been broken, but when the, yeah, yeah, when the, you, I feel, yeah, I feel like a lot of the, the difference is like you play the game until you've broken the game and it can't go anymore. That's like good improv or like where uh, you see it is the more experienced people get to uh, the new improv is like, we found the game. We just labeled it. Yeah. Let's yeah, get the exactly. hell out of let's, here. Let's run. And you're like, Oh um, no. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that the, um, you know, there's, you know, in the name of politeness, I think a lot of times people won't be like, this is what we're doing. Yeah. I also think that people need to just beyond the step of like letting go of your idea, if that's not where the scene is going. Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely remember when I got to the point where I not only didn't care if I knew it was going to happen, but I preferred not knowing what was going to happen. That was yeah. a big step. And, and that, you know, what the scene is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the, like, mm-hmm. I'm not, you're not going to get off stage and be like, Oh, I really wanted that scene to be about balloons <laughs> and it wasn't. And then I had to do this scene about surgery. Like who cares yeah. what the scene well, is? That's how I felt after a cage match, but for me personally, <laughs> but okay. You know, so it's like, if your scene partners is like, this is what we're doing, you know, there, why resist that? Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of people who's like, but I want to do my scene. Yeah. It's like, well, who cares? Like, it yeah. doesn't matter what the scene is. That, yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of time spent, I think, on stage with people being like, no, we're doing this scene. Yeah. Um, and whatever, you know, you're hopefully, you know, you're going to do four billion scenes. Yeah. They're not precious. Yeah. Uh, they go away. And Remarkably it, quick. Yeah. And <laughs> so if your scene partner's like, this is what we're doing, it's so much more fun to be like, great, let's do it. And, and not like... Well, I'm still really married to my idea because I thought of my vacation when right. I heard pineapple. So we got to do that. The stakes are so high that nightmare. we do my scene. True nightmare. Yeah. Uh, all right. This is uh, I'm going to I'm going to lightning round through a few questions okay, sure. and then we'll call it. Um, this has already I'm been clearly not capable of that. Uh, <laughs> I think I think they're pretty easy. OK, uh, we'll see. Um, OK. Uh, <laughs> no, I have I have one that's like an essay question right. About. I was gonna say, gonna is one of them one. women in comedy? Your thoughts? <laughs> oh God, <laughs> <laughs> no! So like, yeah, can't get into that. No. Uh, uh, okay, side coaching, yay or nay, and why? Uh, <clears throat> do I do it? Uh, just As a what teacher? do you think? Good. Bad. Um, I do it. Mm-hmm. I know some people hate it. Mm-hmm. And so when I do it, I say, I know some of you hate this. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the people who don't, it's very useful. Um, I think also it depends how you do it. Yeah. You know, I, I try really hard not to be like, well, you know, we've all had those coaches and teachers who've been like, well, I would have done this. And I was like, right. well, great. I'm not you. That doesn't help me at all. Like, but and also <laughs> like, yeah, you're, you're a really funny, experienced improviser. Yeah. Of course you saw that. I didn't. Yeah. Um, so I try to, if I do do that, if I do give examples, I try to give enough of them where it's like, see, you could go in all these different directions and not like this was the right answer. Um, 
I do do it. I do, you know, I'll be like, stop, go back, stop, go. Cause I, cause I'll do it to illustrate things like that's what you missed. Yeah. That was the thing, you know, there's, uh, there's the small moment yeah. that's important as um, opposed to uh, the bad side coaching. I think what would also, what you're saying too, is like, uh, let, let me interrupt your scene, talk for three minutes about what I would have done in the scene. Yes. And Which then I think right, give, give a shot. Can you keep going? <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm, I'm probably also guilty of that. I, I think just being aware that's it works for some people and doesn't work for some people. If I when I coach, which I really do rarely anymore, I will ask. I'll say, do you guys mind being side coached? Yeah. Um, and if they're like, we hate it, then they hate it. Yeah. Uh, or then I won't do it um, in my class. <laughs> it's like, hey, you signed up for my class. Yeah. And this is what the class is. Um, You're in my world now. <laughs> and and there are some and, you know, in the class I'm teaching right now, I, you know, the first week I was like, hey, I'm working on stuff mm-hmm. as a teacher. Like I might I've had my class that I've taught. That's like this five week thing. And I know what every week is, but I also want my classes to get better. So if there's a moment where I'm like, hey, you know what? I want to try this thing bear with me because I'm learning too. Um, and so there will be moments where I'm like, let's try this thing outside of this exercise because I think it might help yeah. with this particular problem. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I try and be very honest in my classes about like, Hey, I'm, you know, figuring this out too. Yeah. Um, and I think that actually that's, a lot of times that improvisers get really stuck is this like, well, whatever my teacher says is the God is gospel. Right. And then I go see them perform and they're not doing any of that shit. Um, and yeah. you have to, as a person again, who struggled as an improviser for so long and continues to, um, I think it's helpful to say to your students, like, Hey, if I can get it, I get it. Yeah. Cause I did it, you know, like I think yeah. it's important. Uh, okay. Uh, what do you hate seeing in improv? What bothers you when you see it? That's really interesting. And I, it's, you know, I don't watch that much improv anymore cause it's, you know, just hard, but, uh, <laughs> I just wanted to just say it's beneath me it's because it's beneath me at this point. You know, I do write, I did write for baskets. Um, <laughs> no, I, what do I hate seeing in improv? Um, I'm not a big fan of ironic disconnection. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of um you know, I think I, I you know, obviously people you know, easy laughs at the expense of your scene partner or, yeah. or, or here's a joke instead of what belongs in this scene. I, does that mean I do, don't do it? Absolutely yeah. not. I absolutely do it. You know, it's, it's, um, uh, most of the things I, that really piss me in, off in improv are things that I know that I do. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. uh, because it's like, you know, the same with human beings where yeah. it's like, oh, I fucking can't stand this person because they do this thing that I do. Yeah. There's nothing that, that I hate. Yeah. Like little <laughs> totally. things that bother you about yourself. Totally. Yeah. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I just, it's, it's weird to come from Chicago where everything, you know, second city is very like you wear show clothes and the guys wear ties and the girls wear dresses and it, there's a sense of occasion and people are spending $30 on tickets and buying souvenir t-shirts to go to UCB land where it's like people are wearing shorts and shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I still can't do that. Like yeah. I still like, it took me a long time to get to the point where I was like, I'm just, which is weird. Cause I dress like a toddler, but like, <laughs> 
for me to get to the point where I could wear a shirt that had something on it mm-hmm. was like a huge step for me. Yeah. Because now if you see someone in a suit and tie at UCB, it looks weird. It's a, it's it like, a focal what point. are you fucking doing? Yeah. You turd. So, but like, I still can't wear shorts on stage. That's something that I'm just like, I can't, I won't, I yeah. can't do it. Um, but, uh, so, so, the, so the, when things get too casual, it bothers me a little bit. That being said, that is the sport we're playing right now. Yeah. You know, like Heather and I break all the time and we call each other out and we step outside of our scenes and, you know, that that happens all the time. You know, and I have moments where I beat myself up about it. And then I have moments where it's like, oh, it's just like a new thing I'm learning how to yeah. do. Um, I like it. Uh, negativity. Wanna- People being shitty. Mm. People being shitty and spreading bile probably is 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 my least favorite thing. Uh, I was going to spread some bile and tell you one of the things that I now found that I hate most in a scene. I can't wait. But uh, I just saw I just saw a show last night that the first line was a girl going, I can't find the bikini anywhere. Where's my bikini? And the guy coming out. Uh, and going, what are we talking about? <laughs> and then she responded, uh, I, I'm looking for my bikini. I can't find my bikini. Have you seen it? And he responds, let's just get you naked. And I was like, oh, what happened? Now, it was so quickly the weirdest, like, pervy scene I've ever seen. Right. I mean, to so me, it's, like, it's also one of those things, too, where it's like, you know, are these new new improvisers? Or yeah. Are they people that are probably. doing something, like, they're super probably, evolved? And, oh, you yeah. Know, there, oh, yeah. This is this is what the bleeding edge of improv it, is. Totally. Well, there's time, you know, where, uh, you know, there are things where it's, like, depending on who I'm playing with and, yeah. you know, if I know them or not know them, you know, uh, someone making the same move. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where it's like, yeah, but, 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 you know, if this came out of someone like, you know, TJ's mouth. Right. I would assume the yeah. genius. It's a genius. Yeah. You know, and if yeah. it's coming out of this guy's mouth, I'd be like, you dick. You yeah. know, so yeah, there's a trust element that uh, goes along with it. You're such a sweetheart. It must be hard being so nice. Why? Uh, that was just what like did a, I say that was sweet? No, it was just like nice of you're like, I mean, if it's coming from someone, you're like, you, you gave such benefit of the doubt. Uh, it was very no, nice. No, if anything, you. it's shitty because yeah. it's like, well, I trust this person. I don't yeah. trust this person. I'm mm. glad you think I'm a sweetheart. That's very nice. I do. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a lot of it is when you get into air areas like that when it comes down to like you know touching or sex shit or you know race shit you know a lot of that is just the level of trust between the people on stage absolutely um yeah you can you can do almost all of it uh as long as we're just you know working as a team on that right (laughs) right uh okay what do you the inverse of that question Mm -hmm. what do you love seeing in improv what's something that impresses you um i love seeing people that just are coming at it from a very different angle that's always been my one of my favorite things that are just you know some of my favorite favorite players are you know i said stephanie weir before Mm -hmm. who just is I can't even describe. I mean, like she yeah. comes out of from a very actorly place, yeah. a and so present and so. Um, uh, I she just does it in a way that I, I've never seen anyone else She's do. Incredible. It. Yeah. Uh, I and then someone like Miriam Tolan, who is just comes at it from just a very different place like she's a very unique and singular improviser and she's someone who I always want my female students to see Mm -hmm. because I think that because there are so many more men doing it 
there's more variety on that end. Whereas because there are so many less women doing it, it's like, oh, this is what it looks like to be a female improviser. Mm-hmm. And so when you have people like Miriam, um, you know, who really is very singular in the way that she improvises. I always, Mary Holland is like that. Yes. Where it's like, this is someone who's just kind of coming at this in a different way and is, and is a really great person to point to, I think for students to be like, no, you can be you up there. Yeah. Um, you don't have to just be like improv girl. Right. Character. Um, I like seeing, I would rather see someone obviously take a big swing and fail than play it safe and fail. Yeah. Um, I, well, yeah, yeah. You know, (laughs) out of two failures. Yeah. Yeah. Spectacular. I mean, I'd rather see someone take a big swing and succeed. (laughs) Um, and I think that it's always, you know, and this was at some point a decision I just had to make for myself. It's just like, I don't care how bad your show is if you're having so much fun. Yeah. Because, you know, in everybody's quest to get on a team and be this perfect improviser, I'm always kind of like, are you having fun? Hmm. You know, we, you know, when you go see your favorite improvisers, you always say, oh, so-and-so's playing tonight. Yeah. And I always question, like, how much does it feel like playing to you mm-hmm. when you're up there? Yeah. And I have shows all the time that I'm like, that wasn't fun. Yeah. I was not having fun. Yeah. And so why go through all the like pain and torture and years of classes and bullshit and teams and not teams and all this stuff if you're not going to at least have fun? Um Amen. So I, I get disappointed with myself when I don't have fun because I'm like, well, you're that. That's dumb. Have more fun. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's a stupid <laughs> thing. But um I would, I'm, I'm always really, really happy when I watch improv at any level Mm -hmm. where I can tell they're having fun. Oh my God. One of my favorite shows I've seen in the past couple of years was a one Oh one show. Uh, and they were just like, cause they were for some reason, they had all the gusto and fun inside of them. And I was like, yeah, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's kind of all it is. Um, okay. Well, this is the, uh, I guess the last question of the show. You always ask famous segment of the show, Pearl of Wisdom. Mm -hmm. No feedback piece of advice that you got that is uh, impactful for you in your improv career or just your career career or your life Fuck. anything you want um just the perfect words to close on what are they <laughs> shit i you get you gotta i don't know um i thought about email i, f- I feel like i yeah, should like email and tell people to, be to think about it buffer. before um but you know improvising will be okay I don't know. I mean, in terms of like what I would say to a student. I don't know. Just what mattered to you? Oh, because oh, that it, it I had anything. an answer for. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm just interested at like the, there's there's small things that come along, uh, I think, uh, all the time for improvisers and comedians or whatever, where you're like, fuck, that's it. That's the thing. And it's oh, well, just, so there's more pressure now. No, what no, have no. other people said? Um, <laughs> uh, the people have given a whole range of ones. I mean, one that I always say that I um, talk about having fun. I got a note that was really great. It was Shelly Slocum. She was coaching and I did a scene where I was like, uh, one of the premises from the opening was like, why a bar isn't more like Chuck E. Cheese and have fun games and stuff. And I started a scene being disappointed in that. And her note after it was like, why don't you just start a a scene about a bar that is as fun as that? Like, Mm -hmm. why don't you start in that, that more fun space? And I was like, yeah, 
why didn't I go have more fun in the scene? Yeah. As opposed to being sad that there isn't yeah. more fun and going like, well, this can never get better. It's like, oh yeah, just maybe the fun version of it. I think here's, can I, can I answer with a story? I'd love to. Okay. Yeah, I'd love that. It's a 20 minute story. <laughs> no. Okay. So when I was at second city, I was obsessed, obsessed, crazy, crazy obsessed with Rachel Dratch that, mm. you know, in a way that like, you know, I, I saw her improvise every night and, and what the world has sort of seen her do is nowhere. I've nowhere always heard near that the, like the, the best yeah the, she i mean she was one of the people that i instantly was like who is that yeah what is she doing how can i do it that was a, a really good example of someone who i'm like she's the best and i will never improvise like that and that's yeah. fine like we just do different things fine um also a person that i have a very weird relationship with but anyway <laughs> i love her i love her and um i at some point remember approaching her in tears and saying and 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 being like Rachel like, is this something that you I was like is please tell me this is something you can get better at I was like in tears and she put her hand on my shoulder and she was like oh my god of course it's something that you get better at and it was just such a like this person that I you know revere and fear yeah. and whatever just like really having you know yeah. giving that to me oh, many god. many years later <laughs> I was on a subway and you know this is like during the let's have of all years and this girl came up to me on the subway and was like hey I'm so sorry to bother you I know you're like on the subway I'm sorry to bother you like I'm out like I'm Elvis or something yeah. and and I was like it's not a bother I'm on the train it's fine <laughs> and she was like I just I want to ask you and then she got teary and then she was like I just want is this I just want to ask you like is this something that you like can get better at and I just I like it was like a time travel yeah. situation and I and I and I sat her down and told her the whole story and one of the most um, fulfilling and exciting, probably more fulfilling and exciting than anything professionally that's ever happened to me has being able to be kind of part of this cycle of like some, you know, like having having your heroes and being able to pass that on. Mm -hmm. um, and there are people who are like, you know, push forward and improv and in comedy who don't reach back and that has been the most fulfilling part of all of this for me is being able to be like, yes, of course it's something you get better at and being able to be, you know, past that, mm -hmm. it, like literally word for word, the same question uh, to someone else asking that to me. It's just, it's, it's an honor, yeah. you know? And, and I, I guess my recommendation to everyone, I guess is like, allow that to be a part of your experience as a as a improviser and as a comedian is is to participate in making someone else want to do it too and yeah. and you know taking a step beyond just being on stage and making them want to do it but yeah. actually being there being a part of that yeah um Duh. that's been a that's that's something that's very important to me i think uh, that's a beautiful story. I welled up <laughs> a little bit oh, no. when I heard it. Um, 
I uh, I want to I want to <laughs> tag two things on that. That's why like that's why I do coaching too. Like I like helping. I like being the. Yeah. I like trying to be at least the good coach that I have had, and the people that meant things to me and said things are like. I just want to give all that like love I got in coaching back. Yeah. Uh, but your question of like, can you get good at it? I think I had a similar thought for a long time, and I've said this before. Is like I actually just wit in mind's a negative version of yours, which I think I'm learning about myself. Is I just wanted somebody to come up to me and go like, hey. Uh, you're, this done. Is, you're done yeah. or, or be like, or just the, the alternative is like, you, you just hang in. But I, right. I love either one. I would just be like, great. Perfect. Just give me something. <laughs> just to give like, me anything. Yeah. yeah. Just give me a, a prescription. A, a scene of the future. Tell yeah, me what's going to totally. happen here. Someone else yeah. external. Tell me yeah. how to go. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been a remarkably refshing and lovely conversation. I only wish I had a million more hours to spend talking I'm, to you. This yeah, is great. I, I, I'm very uh, talky, and I apologize. No, this is great. I mean, it was all really great. And uh, like, like I said, when you came to town, I think you were a breath of fresh air from coaching to performing. And I think even now in this podcast, you've been a breath of fresh air for me. <laughs> so I highly appreciate it. That being said, can you do you have anything that you want to plug or share with the the improv listening universe? I mean, we got listeners now. We got listeners all over the world. We got listeners. We do. In, yeah, we do. Yeah. What's the farthest listener? Um, probably Australia. They're all over. They're you know Europe, Australia. Um, there's some Amsterdam people, Brazil. I know. Um, yeah. Don't spend time being hateful. <laughs> That's your plug, doing, by the way. Doing the thing you love. I don't have. A, I don't have okay. a plug. I have, you know go when when and if I ever make a movie happen. I guess go see it. Okay, I'll make sure we go. Thank see you. That um, uh, great. So don't spend time. That'll be a people. selling point. Is that I already have an audience. Yeah, for my good. unmade movie. <laughs> no, I don't have a plug. Yeah, I, tell I, tell I, them you've got a few thousand listeners in the can. Yeah. You told them that they were going to do it. So yeah, my my plug would. <laughs> Be, go see your friends shows and support them on their journey uh, it's must be hard being so nice i love it uh, i'm just trying to make myself look real good you've nailed it great uh becky thanks so much for being on the show thank you for having me it's been a delight there it was it was becky drysdale i hope you enjoyed that episode please rate and subscribe to the show in itunes also you know what try this if you know someone who would like this episode or a previous episode maybe a classmate a teammate uh, uh your mom uh why don't you go ahead and tell them about uh tell them about an episode recommend an episode to a friend uh and for more information you can go to boardwalkaudio.com forward slash improv obsession there you'll have the option to support the show by shopping on amazon you can go to boardwalk audio.com forward slash improv obsession you click the support our artist button you shop on amazon you buy the stuff you'd normally buy and a small percentage of that fee goes to us it's easy it's free it costs no more money than it usually would to buy stuff on amazon and you get to support the show um, again don't forget to rate and subscribe add a nice little review reach out for coaching i'm always there doing the coaching uh, and as always happy improvising <laughs> been a boardwalk audio podcast for more information and shows visit boardwalkaudio.com don't forget to rate and subscribe now